Good morning. I will not be singing for you. Uh, sorry about that. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn on over to Luke chapter 2. But it's great. We want to welcome you again. Welcome to our Christmas service. I'm wondering, is there a... Uh, you guys could, you don't have to stand for the whole sermon, please. Thank you. Oh, waiting. Okay. It's in that closet. Okay. Can I borrow one of the, sure. Or even one of the, only slightly more helpful for us all. Good morning. How is everyone doing? Is everyone feeling the Christmas spirit this morning? Uh, I thought it was great. I, I, the kids were great. I particularly enjoyed my wife over in the corner. Oh. All, all the way sold out on that. Thank you. That was amazing. Um, no, the kiddos are great. I love that. I feel there's a... Thank you. Oh, wow. Um, I'm short. Not that short, but um, thank you. No, that's great. Thank, thanks, hon. Perfect. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to talk about a little bit about Jesus' birth. We've been walking through this story a little bit. We started last week. And if you remember, we talked a little bit about Joseph and about the Magi. And so much about the story of Jesus' birth is not, there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of marketing going on. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how the, the, like, the, the fat white dude with the big old beard got involved with the Christmas story. Uh, but it, but it's, it's so funny how there's so much money to be made. There's so much, there's so much marketing. There's, so, there's new candies. There's, there's special Santa Reese's peanut butter cups. They, which really are the best, though. They really, and then, or like the Christmas trees where there's more peanut butter per chocolate. I feel like that's the real blessing of the Christmas season. Yeah. Uh, but it is, uh, but it, it's, it's so interesting and funny how, and we've talked a little bit about this. If we're not careful that the world will write the story about Jesus and about God and even about what real joy is really about. And as we study and as actually we dig in a little bit to the scriptures, one, the truth is actually better than fiction. And I'm still not sure why. I, so we watched the Band of Brothers series. I don't know if you ever, anybody watched that before. Yeah. It's like awesome. Yeah. Like Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg. And I'm like, the Christmas story actually, I, I think needs that treatment. I think Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg could get together. There's like a 10 part miniseries. And over the next few weeks, we're actually, we're taking... We're taking a look at some of that story. This morning, we're going to take a bit of an abbreviated look in Luke chapter 2. And Luke, for those of us that know, Luke's a physician. He's a historian. Unbelievably detail-oriented. And actually, in Luke chapter 1, at the very, very beginning, Luke's actually telling us while he, why he's even writing the book of Luke at all. The, go, the gospel according to Luke is that he kind of goes on like this investigative reporter journey to confirm everything these guys have been hearing. In fact, he tells them at the very beginning of Luke 1, I'm going, I'm hunting down all of these eyewitness accounts so that you can have confidence in the things you've heard. So as we read the Bible, sometimes if we're not careful, it begins to read a little bit like Harry Potter or something. We think it's fiction and it's and in our in our mind it's it's supernatural or it's mat and and, and actually what we're reading is history. And that's exactly what Luke is trying to do for both Theophilus, the early church, but also for us. And that's also one of the reasons why I love my Bible study this time of year. 
because I think it's important for us to kind of go back and go, man, what we're talking about, our faith, this isn't magic. This isn't, this isn't mythology. This is not Greek. I loved Greek and Roman mythology. I love the movie Hercules. Music's fantastic. Disney did a good job of that. Um, it, but that's not what, that's not our faith. That's not Jesus. That's not his birth. Even though it's been marketed, it's been, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been finished. It's, it's been, it's been doctored up to sell. But actually Jesus came to actually buy us back. There's something very different. And so what we're going to do here in Luke chapter two, we're going to read a chunk here in Luke chapter two, starting in verse one together. And this is meant to be a bit of an appetizer. Uh, the food is coming later. So if you, if, if you want the extended version of this, there is no uncut director's version. Uh, uh, you can go back and do some great reading, but I'm going to zoom into a few points this morning. But let's read together from Luke in verse one, talking about the birth of Jesus. And it says, exactly, dun, dun, dun. In, in those days, the birth of Jesus, verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. That's King David. Went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him, or to him rather, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, how many of us are reading an older version that says there was no room in the inn? We're going to get to that in a moment. We're going to talk a lot about it next week. But some of us, some of these words, it matters. And the details of the story actually matter. We're going to zoom into a couple of them, but we'll keep going here in verse 13. Sorry, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Yeah, no kidding. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, or the Christ. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And I want to pause here and get you to kind of understand what these guys are looking at. And when we read throughout the Old Testament, be it Daniel or other places, we talk about the God, God is the Lord of hosts. And in fact, it says 10,000 upon 10,000 angels, right, are in the heavenly host. And we're trying to get a picture that these shepherds, almost certainly preteens or teens, without a doubt poor and considered unclean, complete, they would not be able to go to the temple and worship. And they're there and a, an angel shows up and we often think like Valentine's Day, right? Like a cherubim and he's like, bing, and like, 
There's a little, that, that is not the, you do a Bible study on angels, it doesn't feel like Valentine's Day, man, it is weird, you have revelation, there's eyes all over the place, you're like, what is going on? And these guys are terrified, one of them shows up, and then the sky breaks open, and you can almost visualize, there is, it's like the old World War, I think of like the World War II, kind of the, the procession of thousands of soldiers at attention. But it's the angelic army and they're all saying glory to God in the highest heaven. Like the whole angelic army is on their feet, staying at attention. Do you understand what's happening this morning? And these guys, you could just imagine if you were there. In verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, very nonchalantly, right? They're like, all right, see you. They close the door behind them. Can you imagine just being there, freaked out? Did we just hallucinate? What's going on? The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them. Sorry, I lost my place here. Um, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Could you imagine being one of the shepherds that morning? And we love, it's just, it's amazing when you start looking at all these details. We talked a little bit about this last week, that there are these verses, these, these, these single verses in the Bible that God doesn't really explain to us, right? I mean, it's like the whole, we were talking about like when Jesus dies, there's a little, there's an earthquake, boom, and then all these righteous dead people come alive and they're walking around the streets of Jerusalem and and there's no more explanation. And there are verses on this all over the Bible where I'm like, I want to see the 4K version of this in heaven. Like, show me what did the shepherd see? Like, it's, it's almost too big to believe. And, and the only person out of the four Gospels that documents this is Luke. And he's going down and chasing eyewitness reports. And the only way we can imagine him finding is that he heard that somebody had heard from somebody who heard from these guys. The story was still going around 30, 40 years after Jesus' birth, and he's writing the gospel. This, the, 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 the report had gone out. People were still talking about this. And Luke goes, I need to chase this down. And he does. It's unbelievable. But the angels come to these shepherds, and they tell them, one, don't be afraid. That's, Amen. We don't often think about fear in Christmas time, right? That's not usually what we we attribute. But he says here in verse 10, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And the king, it's so wild to me. Because I want to just look at what telling him is happening. And there's kind of good news, great joy, and for all people. For those of us, good news, that's probably a word that we've heard before. 
and, and it's actually translated, the, the Greek word is evangelion, which sounds a lot like an evangelist. That's exactly where we get that word. It's literally good newsing. An angelos, a messenger, an angel of the Lord. That, that's a messenger. That's someone who's bringing news. You put that little ev or eu at the beginning, that's good. So with the, the, the angel shows up and he goes, I bring you good tidings. That's what we sing about when it talks about good tidings. That's the same translation. The word is, he's telling them the gospel. He shows up and he goes, this is the good news, guys. This is the good tidings. I'm, I'm telling you something that once it happens, will change the world forever. But what's interesting is that we know this word a lot. The ancient world knew it in a very different way. And as you look through, I mean, looks the, the, he's the historian. There's details, all, especially the beginning of this chapter. And if you're reading, you kind of go, hold on, what in the world is going on? But did you pick up all the little details? Like, who, who's the... Who, Caesar Augustus is leading the Roman Empire. We've got Quirinius as the governor of Syria. We've got, this is all about a census. We've got cities all over. We've got genealogies. Luke is, back, is actually writing to both Jews and Gentiles, people who knew the Old Testament and were a part of the, and, and people who were Roman or people a lot like us. And just like Matthew did, he basically nails about nine different prophecies in about four different verses, just casually runs by it. A Jew hears all of that. A Roman isn't necessarily thinking that way. He's writing literally to all people. And so when you talk about good news, and he shows up and he goes, good news. And if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're a Jew, you know that from, from Isaiah, talking about how the good news will be preached to the poor. But if you're a Roman, you actually know this from a different reason. So in, in the country of what is now Turkey, then would have been Asia Minor, there's a small, what then would have been a city, now it's just an archaeological ruin, and it's called Priene. And in Priene, there is this inscription that the archaeologist had dug out, and it's actually a birthday announcement for Caesar Augustus. Listen to this. Listen to the words of this, and tell me if this doesn't sound shockingly similar. This was about 20 years or so before Jesus' birth. And it said, it seemed good to the Greeks of Asia, and Asia or Asia Minor would be now modern-day Turkey, to the Greeks of Asia in the opinion of the high priest Apollonius of, of Menophilius Xenitus. So we will be testing you on your geography after the service. And this is what they had wrote. It seemed good to the, or, sorry, since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled, talking about providence, filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. Saying that he is, he is better than anything that's coming and nothing will come after him that's better. That's that statement. And since the birthday of the God Augustus, 
was the beginning of the good news or the good tidings, the evangelion. For the word, the world that came by reason of him. This is the birthday card probably two decades before Jesus shows up. And they are in Turkey going, no, no, no. No, the God King came. The Savior of the world that will arrange all things, will end war, that is the Prince of Peace. He's come. That's, that's, what, that's what's being written by Caesar Augustus about his own birthday. And so when you hear this, when the, when the angel shows up, he's like, enough of this nonsense. No, the God now has come. And what we're seeing is the angel shows up in full glory. And what's incredible about this is he doesn't go to the palace. He doesn't put it on a billboard. He goes to teens and preteens that couldn't even come to church that morning because they were unclean. That's because it's good news that will cause great joy for all people. Luke, the historian, is documenting so many of these details. Why? So that just like Theophilus, you and me go, we have a, we have a serious reason to believe what we believe, friends. This isn't fiction. It's not fantasy, and it's not philosophy. This is the single most important day in all of human history. And the angel shows up to tell them all about it. It's incredible. It's the good news that will cause great joy for all people. Does that make sense? That's a little for the, the nerds among us. That isn't that's fascinating to me about how he the, the, the historian is showing up to let us know exactly what the news is. Why does this matter? Because the good news that causes great joy for all people isn't going to come through a government. It's not going to come through a it's not going to come through a king. It's not going to come through empire. It's not going to come from control or power. The world cannot provide you that. It's from God. And it's meant to make you go and find out about it. It's meant to make you go and see. Let's talk about great joy for a second. I don't know about you, Oftentimes, for, for, for a long time, man, I just, there is, a, there is a joy about Christmas time, isn't there? I love kids are like singing, we're dancing, everyone's wearing red. And, you know, I was like, are we a Kansas City Chiefs fan? And, you know, Mason was like, what'd you call me? And I'm like, I, sorry, it's Christmas time, great. I missed the memo, as you can see. I'm not trying to be a Scrooge. I missed the, the red memo. But you know what the truth of it is, is that it, this time of the year isn't actually joyful for everyone. I know in our family, Amanda, her brothers and sisters and her mom found out that her dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer on Christmas Day. And he'd pass away a few weeks before our wedding day, which is Christmas Eve Eve. Our anniversary is the 23rd of December. He would pass away almost, what I guess, almost three years after his diagnosis. Two years, I'm sorry. There's a memory around Christmas. And my dad and I's family, we had someone brutally kill themselves on Christmas Day. 
Christmas doesn't always bring joy. Some of us are grieving today because of people we've lost. Some of us are wrestling in our faith or we're, 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 we're feeling more lonely than ever. And then sometimes as everyone is having part rejoicing and drinking hot cocoa, some of us look around and go, I, I'm not feeling the love. I'm not feeling that way. This isn't gr- what joy, great joy. What are you possibly talking about? And I look at this and I think it's so fascinating to me, but in the first Christmas, there wasn't a lot of joy going on either. These people, they're enslaved under a Roman government that would only get worse. Locally, King Herod was despicable. He was terrible. And we'd find out later in this chapter that he would start hunting down all the boys because he was so paranoid about losing his power and his money. He slaughtered a generation of babies. This is the dude that's your local governor. Oh my goodness. There's fear. There's poverty. There's slavery. Women like Elizabeth went childless for almost six decades before, about nine months before this. Said that Jesus, that that actually God, when he gave her John the Baptist as a baby, that he took away her shame. That's what she carried for six decades. It isn't always feeling that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you think about, sometimes we can, you know, we've, we, we can think about the, I don't know, the season, it feels joyful. Sometimes we just don't feel it. And a lot of people aren't. And I think about this and I go, what joy could the angel possibly be talking about? And friends, if you're, even if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to tell you, if your joy comes from anything that can be taken away from you on this world, then you haven't found true joy yet. And what God is saying is that I'm giving you something very different. It's a hope and in a, in a way. And the whole thing about this, actually the declaration of Caesar, is that if you would bow down and be allegiant to King Augustus, if you would do it his way, there would be peace. You would be protected. If you were a Roman citizen, you could literally walk from edge to edge of the known, the, the known world, the, the Mediterranean world. And if you had a badge that said you're a Roman citizen, if they harmed you. They'd invade the country. There was a protection. There was a security. There was a joy. God goes, that's, that's what Jesus came to bring. But we have a very different kind of king that was born. A very different way than the world. And I think this is incredible to me. And if for some of us, Maybe we're wrestling, whether it's our, we feel lonely. Maybe our, our marriages are in shambles and we're feeling like I'm living with a stranger or worse. Maybe we're coming in here going, man, I've been, I've been a member of the Wichita Church of Christ for decades and I feel like I, I don't have any best friends in this room. Maybe we're feeling like there's reconciliation, there's genuine relational breaks that we've got to heal. I want to tell you, friends, that there is great joy. Jesus' way brings restoration. It brings hope. It brings healing but he's also got to be the king. But I love how approachable he is. And it says for all people. What's incredible to me, friends, is that the first people to hear the announcement are these shepherds out in the middle of the field. Isn't that cool? These preteen, teen boys... I think of I think of my son. My son has two modes, off and like a thousand miles an hour. You know, I think of like these shepherd boys are out there. 
And as young dudes, they are protecting. They've got their sheep. There are wolves. There's genuine risk. These guys, whether, you know, they've got their little club, they've got their sling. I, you know, I just imagine they're out there doing the job of a shepherd. They're, they're taking care of these sheep. Probably making jokes, trying to get some sleep, and the, and the angel shows up. And I think out of all the people, if you wanted the good news to spread for all people, would you show up and talk in a backwater small town? Would you grab a few shepherd in the middle of the field? That's how you'd start the movement? Seems unlikely, right? How about, the, how about Caesar? How about show up to Herod's house and knock some sense into that guy? He shows up to the people that are the least likely, no money, not even religiously accepted. He shows up and goes, guys, there's something happening in town. You should take a walk. Go check this out. And, he, and what's the sign they were looking for? It's not the miracle, not the star, the magi. They, you know what I'm saying? They're looking for that. That's not, it's not, it's shockingly simple. You're looking for a baby that's in a manger. And a manger is just where they would feed animals, you know, sheep or cattle. And what are the shepherds hearing? The king of kings, the Lord of hosts, the angels. We're talking, you can imagine a hundred million angels showing up on the scene and going, you're looking for a kid who is in a crib that you were probably put in. Poor backwater town he's not wrapped in silk or satin it's not in the palace it's not in the whole it's not in the holy holies it's not in the temple it's not in god's town no no no. what you're going to do is you're going to go find a kid that is in a place that you were probably a normal joe someone that, that there's nothing special about jesus's upbringing he in fact he's born into poverty the king of kings could have spared himself all the discomfort and he takes it on he embraces it with both hands And the shepherds are hearing, how will you know you found the king of kings, the savior of the world? It's because he's going to be in a manger just like you would be. He's just a normal kid. He's both unbelievably and overwhelmingly graceful and so incredibly approachable. And sometimes we come, maybe Christmas is one of the few times of the year we come to church and we feel like I, I need to figure my life out before I show up. And I want to encourage you, that couldn't be farther from the truth. And if you've ever tried to go by yourself and like clean your life up and then come back to church, you find out we're not very good at it anyways. You know what I mean? And you don't. And why, why do all the heavy lifting alone, man? You're among friends and we're all messed up. We come to church. I remember the first time I came to church, I'm like, everyone's so awesome. And they're like coordinated. Everyone's wearing green. Like, what's the deal? Everyone's happy. Like, everyone's hugging their wives and their husbands. All these good looking people. They can they know the words of the song. I, I feel like an idiot when I showed up to church. And the truth of it is, is we're just well-trained, right? We've been doing this a little bit. But we're all messed up. And I love this, is that on Christmas morning, the angels come and say, all of this, the, good, the real good news is going to start with people like you and me. Normal people. Not a lot of money. Not known not a lot of control, not a lot of power, enormously hardworking and difficult situation. But God is not only seeing you, he's coming and giving the news to you. And I, this morning, I think 
this story about Jesus to me is fascinating. About if I was God, I don't know if I would have started a worldwide everlasting movement this way. But he picks people like you and me. He uses, and, and whether you feel like you've been, it's the overwhelming shame or the lack of joy or whether you're feeling like I, this good news or this Jesus you're talking about, I just don't know him. I'm, some of us have been religious our whole lives and still don't know Jesus. That's, that's actually the scary part. You can be there. And I'm saying, it, this isn't meant to make you religious. It's meant to make you go and see. And when you see Jesus and you hear the story and you see and hear it, it changes your life and it gives you a story that you tell. It gives a story that you want to share. It gives you something that you want to give away. And this morning, we're, we're going to be taking communion. And I think so many times we, we do and we should focus on Jesus' death and resurrection. And this morning as we take communion, I want to encourage you to really meditate and think about his birth. And that this isn't a miraculous story. This, this isn't a, a God that came out of nowhere. It wasn't Superman. He ju- jumped up on a cross. This was, this, Jesus was fully man as well. And it started in very humble beginnings. And the intention from the beginning, the, the 30 plus years of investment in life and energy and connection and relationship was to save you and me and to bring great joy for all people. He was fully invested for decades of time, decades of righteousness, decades of sacrifice. This was something he was thinking about well before it ever came time to be nailed to a cross. He was thinking of us. He was thinking of you and me. And so this morning as we meditate, we think about, and we, when you hear a great song, in fact, that I want to encourage you as we take the bread that symbolizes his body broken and his blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, that this is really good news that will cause great joy for all people. And that if it doesn't do that in our lives, I want to encourage you to, even before you leave today, to grab a friend and go, hold on, I, I don't have that great joy. This news doesn't seem so good. It, maybe it's old news. And going, no, 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 let's, let's talk. Let's open the Bible. Let's open our hearts and find it again. Because this story is more than just about presents under Christmas tree, which is awesome. This is a gift that doesn't end. And, and it's a joy that cannot be taken away in this life by death or anything else. Let's bow our heads as we pray and take communion together. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for the ability to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to, to know you, to, and that your son came, Father, and it's just, it's, it's overwhelming how approachable and real and amazing the story is, and how much faith that you have in us, and how you reveal yourselves in incredible ways, Father. Thank you for Luke, this historian that is, is, man, is chasing down this, this story, this one, this one moment, Father. I just think of how, how incredible it would have been to be Luke sitting down and talking with these shepherds 20, 30, 40 years later and hearing the story. I, I, could, I could imagine that. But Father, we get to hear it, we get to read it, and I pray that our faith and our hearts are moved that we think about this good news, that, that, that it brings great joy, Father, and it isn't just for us, it's for all people. And Father, I pray that as we think and we take communion this morning, that we're also, that we've got great, we can have great joy because we can be washed away of our sins, Father. We, and it's not just a clear conscience, Father, it's the consequences in the eternity that we can live free. We can live without guilt, we can live without shame, and we can be connected with you and to one another again. Thank you, Father, 
for that good news. Thank you for the opportunity to think about you and to be together. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.